Good morning. It's May 31st, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz, a 15-minute-ish podcast catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined on the other line this and every day by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, Trey Scott. Trey, how are you feeling entering the fifth day of Brumus? I think, I think, Connor, we're getting to the point where Brumus is almost over, and I think we're ready at this point to take off the ornaments and take the tree out because this has gone on long enough. This is as ridiculous a storyline in college football has ever happened. Sunday when it hits that Brew McCoy wants to transfer, you're like, whoa, is this, is this real? Is this fake? You know, you get to Wednesday. Obviously it's real. Texas sends a caravan. Okay, great. Here's their Hail Mary. Can Tom Herman save it? Can the quarterback Sam Ellinger save it? By Thursday, I mean – Enter the portal or don't enter the portal. Like, let's figure this out, Connor. So, uh, as you mentioned, everybody went out there to see Brew and kind of try to win him, win him back to the Longhorns' cause. But some important, some reporting from Horns twenty four seven today that uh, maybe not a whole lot of optimism about how that went, right? So there was early morning reporting on Thursday that there was maybe some optimism that it was. Such a long shot at first because Brew McCoy had essentially ghosted the Texas athletic staff, players, what have you, for two weeks, right? So he goes back to L.A., and for two weeks, he doesn't return text, calls, emails. So everyone's like, okay, like let's call it a win if we can get him to see us. So they essentially get the in-home visit with, as, you, you know, as we mentioned, Tom Herman, Sam Ellinger, receivers coach Drew Maringer. But after that, I think it starts to become clear he hasn't made a statement. He hasn't let Texas know what's going to happen. Both sides now, Texas reporters, USC reporters, both fan bases, are expecting Brew McCoy to enter the transfer portal, and it's only a matter of time. Now, what's interesting is, no, Brew McCoy, as, as this recording, is not yet in the transfer portal and when you wake up, or when you're listening to this now on a Friday morning, he probably won't be either. That can take 24 hours for compliance to process. And he has to give Texas a heads up that he wants to enter the portal. Texas, because of the new rules, doesn't get to say, no, Brew, you can't do that. Or, hey, Brew, fine, but here's a restriction of schools. They have to, they have to process it, or they have to let him do it, but they also do allow some time to process it. So I would imagine my... I'm calling my shot here. This starts to leak out Friday morning if it hasn't yet. By Friday afternoon, he's officially in the portal. And then we can all put this to bed on Saturday. Well, Trey, we're all, we're all thinking about you during this troubled time, and uh, we, hope, we hope you pull through. Te- uh, Texas fans are over it. They Texas are. fans are, are ready to be done with it. Yeah. I did see some, uh, some uh, fans in uh, Taylor Estes' mentions kind of mm-hmm. like, who is this guy? Like, why do people care so much about this? He hasn't even done anything for the team uh, yet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that's technically true, but also, like, he's really good. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about this. Not only is he really good, number nine recruited in the 24-7 sports composite, but the the whatever, he's almost like an iconic recruit. They flipped him from USC. He had enrolled there in January. He could play both sides of the ball and be an All-American to either side. He was All-American Player of the Year. He was the most famous recruit in this class. He was the most popular recruit in this class. It's Brew McCoy. If you've followed recruiting for the last two years, you've heard about this guy. He played linebacker. He played receiver. 
he's he's a bigger deal than just one player. And what he meant to Texas as, hey, you are back. I'm leaving the school I'm enrolled at, the school I grew up rooting to come 2,000 miles away to play for you. That's all out the, out the door now. So it is certainly a big deal for Texas. But I think Texas fans are ready to say, okay, yes, it sucks that Texas lost him. It's a perception hit for sure. Interested to see how Tom Herman handles it from a PR perspective. But on the field, next man up. Let's get moving. Done with this story. Outside of Brew McCoy, the thing that we have talked about most since relaunching this podcast is the SEC spring meetings. And those continued on Thursday. And it was kind of officiating day. Uh, Head of officiating Steve Shaw was there giving a kind of presentation, a slideshow presentation to the reporters, kind of catching them up on uh, some of the rule changes. Some specifically the SEC is implementing. Some of it was just kind of a recap of some things that we knew had been passed earlier, including overtime tweaks and targeting rule tweaks. Um, And a new thing that came up, at least to my eyes, was him bringing up the possibility that maybe we're headed toward some degree of transparency. Uh, Josh Kendall at the state uh, had a quote from Shaw. uh, Officiating has always been a no-comment world, but I'm not sure we can live in a no-comment world anymore. Uh, a little bit later, uh, Brandon Marcello of Auburn Undercover followed that up with uh, – it, it wasn't super clear to me, and I guess maybe I should ask Brandon what he meant by this. But uh, he said that the idea of a pool reporter being able to talk to an official after a game not happening. Um, so I don't, I don't know what practically you combine those two comments, like what kind of a system we're looking at here. Maybe it's just kind of a – flat blanket statement issued by uh, the SEC officials or I saw somebody raise an interesting possibility of like, Hey, take 30 minutes, 30 minutes of video of an SEC official, whether it's Steve Shaw or somebody else, like breaking down some calls that were made correctly or incorrectly or whatever, put it on the SEC network. And a lot of people are going to watch that. For sure. Uh, What I think this should be, and it's unfortunate Right, no pool reporter, probably, per Marcelo. The NBA does a last two-minute report for each game where they take every whistle blown in the last two minutes. They have it on a really handy spreadsheet online. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, they say, what was the call? Uh, committee player, who was it on? Review decision. They have a video of it. And then they make a comment right. why they made that call. Was it a bad call? Was it a good call? I think that would be a really interesting thing for the SEC to do outside of a pool reporter. And I think, honestly, it would be better than a pool reporter because, I mean, unless it's like a really controversial call, probably targeting or pass interference, um, what is the pool reporter going to even know to ask? I think the last two-minute report is really good. The, the one problem you'll probably bring up, though, here, Connor, is not it's not like the NBA. There's way more action than outside the last two minutes. So that wouldn't quite work. And then you can't do this for every whistle throughout the whole game. That would just be a, a kind of a waste of, of time and resources. So right. it'll be interesting. Do you think fans uh, – how do you think fans are going to react to this? I, I feel like this is this catnip for inviting yeah. drama, controversy. Yeah. Um, content I mean, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think – I mean anytime you open up to like – give insight into your decision making i can see i i don't know we've seen uh, well i've seen i guess you haven't seen but uh, in uh, soccer they've introduced video 
uh, assisted refereeing, and they kind of do a little explaining of that. Sometimes um, in MLS, you are it, they do have a pool reporter system for that. But I mean, uh, and it's I know that the MLS writers get frustrated about the questions like they're allowed to and ask and not allowed to ask, and it's very structured. And so you know, e- just having that doesn't magically make everything super transparent. And like, there's always going to be a new thing to feel controversial about it it just it never stops like it's just the way our minds work like the more getting more access to the official thought process is just going to make us question the little micro decisions that they're making along the way i i i mean i i want this to happen for it's good content it's good to know it like understanding more about how this game works i think is always better but we're always we're never going to stop being outraged, mad about, yeah. uh, you know, a pick play or whatever it is that decides a game uh, that has uh, a lot on the line. So college football fans are never going to stop being paranoid. And this just gives them a little bit extra. Yes, you're trying to be more transparent and you will be. And it is good. But at the same time, you're just going to give them something else to analyze. And then, you know, they're not going to stop with the conspiracy stuff too. the Devin White targeting last year. Uh, the LSU star linebacker headed into the game versus Bama. Well, uh, that was a, a whole SEC conspiracy theory because the league's offices are based in the state of Alabama. So, Right. <laughs> I wonder if this is maybe partly a re- reaction to what we saw with the Pac-12 last year where uh, they ended up, and I have the, the, just some really unfortunate uh, revelations coming out about, I forget, what game was that uh, where – Basically, an attorney ended up weighing in on an officiating USC decision. was involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, we had another... Uh, uh, USC-Washington B- State, Connor. Remember, it almost... Ah. If, if Washington State had won out, it cost him a playoff berth. Ah, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, we had a, a, another beer update from Destin. They're really dragging this this vote out. I don't I don't know if it's expected to place take place in Destin or what. But um, Scott Rabelais uh, reported no one will confirm, but it certainly looks like SEC stadium alcohol policy will come to a vote here in Destin tomorrow. Oh, okay, so Friday by league presidents and chancellors. And uh, Brandy Marcello again kind of hops on and adds. And so then at that point, it will be down to individual universities to decide whether they want to approve uh, alcohol sales and in what capacity they want to approve it. He, uh, Brandon seemed to think that this might not line up with uh, what Auburn wants to do, which I guess, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know what core values Auburn has. That means they're out on selling beer, but I, I guess that would be interesting. Um, and then Darren Ravel coming in with some really weird information from Georgia. Uh, Ravel reports, Georgia will be selling beer at his football stadium this season. The only people eligible are donors who donate 25000 over five years. Beer, beer has $25,000. Uh, beer has to be consumed in special area and cannot be brought back to their seats. So I think what Georgia done, has done here is taken a concept that was like, oh, let's make our game a better environment and they've like sucked all of the fun right the heck out of it that's fair (laughs) it's it seems like a you get a special privilege for you know drinking beer now is a special privilege i think outside of the big thing i'm kind of noticing here outside of how you feel about alcohol at stadiums it just seems a little bit weird maybe ridiculous that conferences 
legislate these things on different on different axes. Like SEC can do what it wants to do. Big 12 can do what it wants to do. But then even per Marcellus tweet, even if the SEC is like, yes, this is allowed, then individual schools can say yay or nay. That's yeah. So it seems so like 20th century. Let's just all, let's get all regulated. Let's let's get all regulated. But yeah, uh, I'm, you know, on one hand, like I think the kind of decentralized nature of college football is like a lot of really what drives the weirdness that I think is appealing to to us as compared with the NFL, uh, where everything kind of feels very top down, mandated and corporate. But um, I feel like college football is getting to a point now where it is just so big. It's ever since. Pretty much ever since the dawn of the playoff era, where it's like, yeah. guys, come on, we need some centralization here. Well, even with the officiating, the SEC said if you have three targeting calls throughout the season, you're suspended for the next game. As far as I know, that doesn't happen in the Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12. It, it, it seems weird that you would have different set of rules, different set of officiating protocol through, throughout different conferences. And then alcohol is obviously not as important right. to the on-field action, but it's all... It's all been kind of interesting this year. Yeah, and like with the targeting thing, um, you know, it would be one thing if it was just, well, the conference champion is who in the playoff because, okay, so everybody's playing by that conference's rules and then whoever comes out of the games where you play by those rules, they get to play in the playoff. But, I mean, if you've got a targeting, somebody suspended for a game, an Alabama player suspended for a game, like that not only affects Alabama, but that has like ripple effects in other conferences that don't, that didn't put that rule on the books. So that, that feels a bit weird to me. Um, speaking of Alabama, uh, we've got some, we were talking yesterday on the podcast, uh, Trey, I think you said it would be interesting to see how Vegas sets the odds on Alabama or Clemson. And wouldn't you know it today, the golden nugget in Las Vegas puts out Clemson and Alabama. If they met head to head in the national championship game, Clemson would be a two point favorite. Um, they must listen to the Morning Blitz. They must indeed. They're like, all right, Trey, Trey and Connor already know that the people want this content, so let's go ahead and get it out there. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. We were talking about, you know, Alabama kind of has been for like a decade now the de facto national title favorite. And if you think about it, like if you're just thinking about this as like odds to win the national championship, it's really even more heavily skewed toward mm. Clemson because Alabama this is just if Alabama gets to this game what are its chances of beating Clemson and Alabama has a much more difficult path to this game than Clemson will so things are looking pretty good for maybe a Clemson repeat who knows it's college football you could lose a game and things go things go sideways yeah. in a hurry but Clemson's toughest game is week two against A&M that's Alabama's Third yeah, fourth that's the toughest game this year. The ACC really bottomed out last year outside of Clemson. So I do think it's going to come back though, Connor. Yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit more bullish on Miami. Florida State can't be as bad. Syracuse returns a lot on defense, at least. But are we? I'm. I am a little bit surprised. I mean, I, Clemson 44, Alabama 16 in January. But all of the next day preseason polls are all all Alabama won, and I think. I think this is. I think we're all kind of we're all starting to sleep on Alabama a little bit. Oh man, Clemson's losses on defense are more than more than people are talking about, and they're talking about it plenty. Yeah. Alabama doesn't usually get to play mad under Nick Saban. They finally get to do that this year, and they also had the number one recruiting class coming in. Yeah, it's so. it's a like weird 
testament to where these two programs right now and like how much of a juggernaut Clemson is that you can like say the sentence we're kind of sleeping on Alabama right now and have (laughs) it kind of be right so has it felt that this offseason has been the one where Clemson has officially gone from scrappy underdog to absolute elite juggernaut I know they've won a title before I know that but that was a almost a magical magical season perfect quarterback to Sean Watson last second touchdown this was an absolute thrashing of Alabama, and they're recruiting at such a high level in 2020. This feels like uh, this off season feels like the off season of Clemson, the coronation of Clemson. I think these Vegas odds might point to that. Yeah, Dabo is no longer allowed to say "little old Clemson." Old Clemson. Clemson is Clemson is big time now. As much as it pains me as a South Carolina alum to say that. Um, so uh, before we get out of here, just rapid fire, we wanted to hit on a couple of notes, let you know that on Friday night at 9 p.m. Central, Julian Fleming is announcing his commitment. Julian is the top wide receiver prospect and the number five overall prospect in the class of 2020. His crystal ball is heavy to Ohio State, 77% at the time we are recording this. Um, Trey, anything you want to add about Mr. Fleming? Pennsylvania kid, former Clemson lean. This would be a big hit for Ohio State and and, uh, Coach Ryan Day. They have the number 11 recruiting class in the country right now. And finally, 24-7 Sports' own Steve Wilfong reported today that former Michigan quarterback Brandon Peters, who was the number 31 prospect in the class of 2016, will take visits to Illinois, Bowling Green, and Miami of Ohio. That's going to do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to check us out. For Trey Scott, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Monday morning for the next edition of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz.